Exodus 20 and verse 12. The Word of our God says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Now, Lord, as you yourself have uttered this word from your spirit and by the finger of your very hand etched in stone there on the tablets of Mount Sinai, we pray, Lord, that we would know your will here, that we would delight in your will, and that, Lord, we would show forth your excellence, your glory, your wisdom, your righteousness by uh, obeying, by the grace you give us in your spirit, every commandment, especially this one, Lord, that is so wonderful and so lovely, so decent, it has this promise of longevity and blessedness to those who keep the commandment. Thank you for being a God who loves order and sets authority in our lives. <clears throat> we confess our rebellion uh, and our are chafing under, even, even under good authority. We pray, Lord, that we this evening might understand what good authority looks like, what a true father should look like. And we pray, Lord, that uh, as fathers and mothers here, uh, we, Lord, would uh, be instructed. Help us, Lord, as this is part of your training for us, and we, we love your teaching. We are your disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The teaching this evening is that Jehovah God requires you to preserve the honor and perform the duties belonging to everyone uh, in their several places and relations as superiors and inferiors or equals. Now, in the, in the commandment, you, we have the express commandment here that inferiors should uh, honor their superiors. But that, as absolute as that is, you have to understand that there are other things in place for the more fulsome understanding of the commandment. Because not all those who are superiors hold their office or their position in a godly manner. And as Paul writes in his epistles, fathers, do not vex your children. Don't, don't frustrate them. Don't, you know... Fathers are to be fathers, mothers are to be mothers, not tyrants and not bullies. Uh, fathers are not to live luxuriously while their children go at barefoot and ill-clothed, uh, Ill ill-fed. So we have to examine a little more about this commandment and, uh, of course, the Westminster Larger Catechism, from which I take all of these notes, it gives a very ample treatment. And so if you have any questions at all, you can also go back to the section of the larger catechism, follow the Ten Commandments. It'll give it all the scripture proofs. There's plenty of commentaries on this. You can study this very deeply. I'm just going to give it a fairly topical treatment because this is a huge, a huge teaching which every society must understand. Every society must know this in order to have a good life. This is not a particularly Jewish treatment or Jewish commandment, and it's not particularly a Christian commandment. It is a commandment for all people because that's what moral law is. Moral law has a universal aspect to it because man is man, originally created in, on God's image. And what is good for one man in God's image is good for all men in God's image. The converted Jew, the true Jew of the heart, and the, the, the Christian who was converted uh, by the Spirit has the advantage, of course, of, of having this very law written in their hearts. And so this commandment comes to, to, to greater uh, uh, display in, in, in our lives. We, we can be uh, more effective witnesses to the Lord in His truth as by the Spirit and the grace of Christ in us uh, leads us in the way of holiness. But Jehovah God requires us to preserve the honor and perform the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, and equals. So this evening we're going to look at uh, the duties of superiors to their inferiors. Let me back up and just very quickly remind you of what, um, what I just said in so many words. Uh, the point, uh, three point, or four points in this, in this sermon, but 
Uh, three of them I've already covered, so I'm going to skip very closely over them. First point is that you have to honor every authority whom God has set over you. All authority is of God. God is the ultimate authority. He is sovereign over all, and uh, His providence rules over all. And so if someone has been placed in a position of authority in your family, in your school, in your community, um, you know, as, as, a, Demo uh, as a Republican, uh, Democratic uh, Republic, we're much accustomed to think, well, we put them in office, and so uh, we've done this, and uh, of course God allowed it, but it's our doing. We choose our leaders. No. God chooses everyone and places everyone in authority. Um, every authority um, is there over you, and God, who is your father, has very conscientiously, for his own reasons, placed that authority there. We talk about natural parents, even adopted parents. Those are the ones we grow up first, uh, that we might learn what the, the love of the authority, the care that authority should have for us. At home is the best place to learn this commandment. If, we, if by the time we're teenagers and we haven't learned it, uh, we've lost a great opportunity. I mean, the Lord can convert us. The Lord could catch up with us. He gives us a new heart and we can learn this commandment. But we have every natural benefit of learning it at home by, by their parents. Now, so by superiors, we mean, of course, those who are uh, in position uh, of authority, but also uh, those who are superior in age. They are our fathers. We refer to them as, as fathers in the, in the faith. If we go to Presbytery and there are men that are almost a generation older than we are, we call them fathers in the faith. And, and, um, and then also uh, fathers in gifts. I've known <laughs> younger men that are more gifted than myself, more gifted than myself, uh, in the matter of uh, spiritual gifting, and, and they, they are excellent fathers, even though they're in their mid-30s. And so we refer to these as fathers in the faith as well. Now, I've spoken about the various spheres of life where you might encounter authority and, and fathers, the family, and the church, and the state. But every, every society features an orderly arrangement uh, of superiors, it appears, and inferiors, the whole of the creation. Now, in almost every culture, except for those that are actively uh, seeking a, some kind of uh, a Marxist utopia, which is an impossible dream, but almost every culture has had an orderly arrangement, some very straighted, some, uh, straighted, some very, very severe uh, caste systems and, uh, and uh, strata of society, but uh, creation has orders of intelligence and, uh, and animals, orders of size and strength, speed, uh, longevity, intelligence. Uh, there's, uh, creation is, is differentiated in many, many, many ways. And there are alpha predators, and there are beta predators, and there are delta and gamma predators. And such is all society. Because cosmos itself means an orderly arrangement. And order, of course, uh, as we mature and as we go from sphere to sphere, from our families to our church, from our church back to uh, the courthouse downtown, those spheres change. And so our, the order for us as to who is our superior in authority may change. If a policeman stops us at a red light, uh, suddenly we're confronted by an, <laughs> an authority. And we have to reckon with that and, and hopefully be polite and recognize uh, his badge speaks uh, for of the power of the state. He does not bear that gun in vain. Um, he has authority to use it, and not from the state. It's from God. So uh, that is the order, and that is the arrangement that God has uh, for us. But the church has, as a society, has its order, has its offices, has deacons and elders, uh, and um, and then uh, other regional uh, arrangements, and uh, it's just a really good way to get things done. And uh, so we mirror God's decree uh, in the cosmos when we are wise as to how the Lord has ordered things. And we are wise to recognize that this is a natural 
feature and not necessarily one that is spiritual. But uh, of course, when we honor God in spirit and keep this from the heart, it goes much better for us. All the commandments, all the law is spiritual, but even in the natural realm, you have advantages in outwardly keeping this commandment. How much more so when you do it by the heart, pleasing the Lord. Now, the fifth commandment here directs the duties of superiors and peers and inferiors than in their various relations. Because, uh, again, although the commandment is absolute, its application may change according to the context. And the, the, the greatest uh, consideration is, well, what if we are under a superior that is doing his duties and we rebel against that? That is a more grievous sin. What is, if we're under uh, a superiors that are, are, are loathsomely tyrannical and unjust and cruel and even sinful? Well, we've got some other considerations there. So let's go ahead and dive into some of the things that are noted for us in our confession. First of all, the duties of superiors in relations to their inferiors, it's to be noted all superiors, all superiors are to be as, as fathers and mothers, as parents to their inferiors. And inferiors are to be as sons or daughters or children. And they don't have to be uh, necessarily all acting as children before their authorities, but they are to be as sons, as sons. That is to say, superiors are as fathers and mothers to express love and tenderness and care and comfort and cheer and encouragement and not just to, to dish out commandments. That's what parents do. They lead they sacrifice for their children. They, they work and they store up money so they have enough to provide for them. And uh, in this sense, uh, it's very beautiful that the greater will serve the lesser. Uh, and that is what we see, of course, in Christ. It's, it's, it's one of those beautiful things where the Son of God, Christ, the second person uh, of the Trinity, has humbled himself in not only becoming a man, but becoming the very servant of man under God, of course, uh, according to the will of God, not, not to please, not as a man pleaser, but as a true servant for their good. And, uh, but, but parents are like that. How many countless hours, sleepless nights, getting up, changing diapers, you know, feeding the babies, bathing everybody, picking up the house. Uh, well, it sounds like, like maid servant. Well, it's because... It, it is the service of a superior to an inferior. And this is love. Love serves. All superiors are to be as parents by encouraging, uh, willing, and cheerful service in performing their duties to them. And so uh, we, we have to be watchful. And uh, I, I know it's, it's hard to be a leader in the family. It's hard to be a leader in the church. We ought to be encouraging cheerful service and engendering that kind of thankfulness and gratefulness in those whom we lead. Uh, what good is it to be a great mother and a great father and to have children that are malcontents and mouthing off all the time about how rotten it is that father hasn't given them uh, a, 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 new, a new toy of his choosing for... It's just... It would, be, it would be awful. We need to be encouraging our children to be grateful and to follow cheerfully. Now, what are the duties of superiors then? What are the duties of the superiors to their inferiors? First of all, uh, to love them, as the, all of God's commands are, are, are like this, but in particular to pray for those under your authority. Fathers and mothers should be praying daily for their family, not just for themselves. They need to be praying for their children. And uh, from there, you can go on, and if you have more time, you can involve others uh, just outside of your immediate family, maybe some, some cousins and some sisters, uh, other people that you're related to that you know need prayer. You should pray, uh, keep a calendar for prayer, uh, maybe, some, uh, maybe a log, a prayer log of answered prayer and, and your petitions. Uh, the elders are to be praying for those that are under, under, under the shepherd groups. Um, because we are to give account for them as, as those who uh, have been entrusted with souls. And we are to bless uh, our inferiors. That is to say, uh, we are to uh, wish them 
that they might uh, be all they can be as God's creature. To bless them is to give them and equip them in everything they can to attain the blissful, uh, uh, the blissful stature in Christ that they that God has decreed for them, to, that they might succeed in their creaturely calling in Christ, and to facilitate that and to encourage them. So uh, love, pray for, and bless their inferiors. We are to instruct them. We are to counsel them. We are to admonish those that are under our care. And uh, especially when they do well, we countenance them. That's a, that's a fine word. It means we face them. We look at them in the eye. We, we're easy. We're, we see eye to eye. A lot is said about a relationship uh, when you meet people and you're looking at them straight in the eye and not, and not at the floor at your feet. By countenancing them, uh, you, you, you are commending them. You are rewarding such as do well. By giving thanks uh, to them, thank you. I really appreciate. I really appreciate your work. That's good work. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Well, wow, I'm so amazed. It went really well. And so, and by asking how they're doing, and encouraging them uh, when they do well, but by discountenancing, and uh, by removing, or excuse me, by reproving and, and chast- chastising those that do it, that do ill. Now, uh, let me just qualify it. In the in the natural realm, the civil magistrate certainly has the power to inflict corporeal punishment. Uh, there's no getting around that. That's clear in Scripture. People try uh, to, to get around that. It's just no getting around that. Uh, the sword is there and not as a museum piece. It's not, it's not a military decoration. Uh, it, it is there to preserve the peace, and it will be used and bloodied if it has to preserve the peace. And the, the state gives authority to the soldier, to the magistrate, uh, to, to the officers, to use weapons, um, but uh, chastening and home. I know it's not popular, uh, but uh, again, we've got any number of things. We don't have to resort to corporeal punishment at all. We don't have to do that first. But by chastening involves any number of ways of, of making correction, timeouts, or removing privileges, uh, or uh, you don't have to, it's not the first thing you come out with, but there, there's an element where sometimes you must bring the person to a degree of shame. Better to learn shame at home, my friends, than to be learning shame for the first time at the bar of God's judgment. Shame is, an, is unfortunately, an element that we must live with as fallen creatures. And to avoid it saying, well, it's just unpleasant. There are a lot of many other, more unpleasant things that must be faced. Cancer is unpleasant. Some of us will face cancer. Shame is unpleasant, but better open shame than uh, a withheld rebuke that leads to greater sin. Uh, no, there is a place for all this, for chastising, reproving, that is to say correcting, and that includes any, any degree um, of correcting, whether it be mild, uh, of a child that is ignorant and still learning, or one that uh, is, is more direct because it's, it's a, the child is involved in danger and he's been repeatedly disobedient. Uh, you know, you have that, that situation. The parents know this and uh, they are different circumstances. Uh, it's not the first time that this child has done this. He seems to have done it willfully and uh, for spiteful and selfish purposes that, that must be addressed. The same thing goes in, in every sphere at work. There's clemency to a, so a person who has slipped into uh, an error and um, really made a bad judgment call. Uh, but if that, those things persist and they seem to be born out of laziness uh, or out of just uh, deliberate carelessness or even arrogance, uh, well, it's, it's just another approach. Same thing in the church. The church must, must correct sinners. If you have authority in the church, you must correct the errant. Now, it's not always easy because you, you don't always see that they're in error. But there's no... This isn't pool. This isn't bumper pool where we say, well, if I hit this ball and it ricochets off that, that table end and goes into this pocket, then I... Ours is duty. God has 
the responsibilities of the effects. We must do what God asks us to do. It's not easy to correct someone that holds uh, immense influence in the church or perhaps a good measure of your salary in the budget. But you have to do it. And if you don't do it, things get worse. So that's part of church life. Disciples are learners, and disciples are those that have a wisdom to learn that correction is good. They invite correction. I I went to a a seminary. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard to explain to you how, how much correction is a feature of some of the professors there. <laughs> it, it takes some getting used to, my friends. But if you know them, you see that they love you and that they mean well, then it, the medicine goes down a little easier. The pill is a little sweeter by it. But correction you will have. Because <laughs> they just won't let you be a fool in life. And they want you to succeed in the ministry. The duties of superiors to their inferiors, protecting and providing for them all things necessary for their souls. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to empty the, the bank account by buying commentaries. and uh, No. Uh, but what it does mean is that you will give uh, due consideration for the health and progress, the sanctification of their soul. Their, spirit, their spiritual interest comes first. Many families care abundantly for their children. They feed them very well. They involve them in sports. They're in swim leagues. They're playing baseball. They love basketball. Their bodies are fit, but their souls are not fit. They cannot recite the Ten Commandments. They mutter the Lord's Prayer, but not with understanding. These things are basic, and they must be in place. And the place to get that done first is in the household, and that's that's the first church, and that's the where we hit. Uh, that's where we we feature these. But if, uh, but uh, those superiors are to care for their for people, for their souls and their bodies. I, for one, as a pastor, like to leave room in everybody's calendar or week that they have ample time to come to church, but also enjoy their families, work in their office, come home. Hopefully, they'll have some time for exercise. Maybe take a walk in. They don't have to be in the gym every day. No. But they must have some care for their bodies. They're not to be flitting back and forth at Bible studies Monday through, through Friday. That I, I don't see that as a healthy activity at all. Not one bit. Not even in a revival. It's not sustainable for one thing. And you're doing injury to some other persons in your life by other. And so for soul and for body. Now, they are to provide a, a wise and holy uh, and an, an ex- exemplary uh, carriage, the English word meaning behavior. They are to be those that are to be emulated and, um, and, and served as an example. They are to uh, present glory to God and be living very consciously to the glory of God because God is the Father of all and He has, bears ultimate authority. And those who, those who have authority come to respect uh, other authority the difficulty of owning authority. Those who have never have any authority or have very little authority, they, or they don't take their authority seriously, don't understand the challenge of authority and how authorities fail. And, uh, uh, but the, the main failure is that authority is to give glory to God. And in every decision, you should ask yourself, how does this impact what people think of God, His truth? If they, how, we, how we worship in this church, what does this say about the glory of God at worship? What does this say uh, about the glory of God uh, in what we teach here or how we carry ourselves here as God's people and missions, etc.? They are to preserve the glory of God and we are to, those in authority, uh, bring honor to ourselves, especially to our offices, if we are called as an elder, we are to uh, declare the glory of God and His wisdom in setting up the eldership. Same for the deacons. The same as if you're a Sunday school teacher, teaching is an honorable thing in the church. And uh, so you are to bring glory to God and give uh, honor to God and to establish honor 
to teaching and to teachers. And then also for yourself, you have not only a right, uh, but you have a duty to preserve your honor uh, when called to do so. That is also part of the Ten Commandments. And so you must uh, then protect, and by doing that, you must protect that authority which God has put upon you. Uh, again, I, I mentioned it in the previous uh, uh, preachings here, the, the great danger in our society here of leveling uh, all men being equal in the sense, not before the law, because uh, of course before the law, all men are the same, equal before God. Uh, we are either in Christ mediated uh, for grace or we are outside of Christ. And in that regard, the law condemns us all. Um, and although uh, there are degrees of heinousness of sin, uh, nevertheless, uh, it's a flat structure before God. All men are born, all men live, and all men die. However, in society, as long as we are in God's creation, we must preserve the dignity and the wisdom of authority. Uh, the hippie age, I'm sorry. I know a lot of people like the t-shirts. I know a lot of people like you know, the music of that epic. It was an extremely rebellious age with respect to authority. Every effort was made to repel and to bring down and challenge authority. Well, we'll get into that in a second. Much of that authority of that, of that epic was abusive. And so when you bring up your children and they are vexed, they will rise up against you. Just like dogs. If you bring up a dog and you treat him cruelly, he, he might surmount you someday and bite you badly. Don't vex your children. But you are to bring honor to that authority to preserve it. We are not a levelers. We're not levelers here in the, the Christ's church. Now, there are sinful then. Uh, these are the duties. What are, what are some of the sins and some of the, uh, the omissions? Well, uh, and not only uh, uh, omitting the duties here just that I spoke of, but also seeking inordinate, inordinate glory for themselves, for yourself. You're in the church, but you're, you're seeking disciples after your own self. You're gathering little groups and little followings. You're doing things uh, to establish your name at the presbytery. You have to be in charge of every committee. You can't bring up, you can't bring up a mentor. Uh, you can't bring up a little, uh, 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 some, some new disciples and, and have them do delegated work because it's always got to be you. You're the one who does it best. You're the one who has to have your name everywhere placated. You live for your own glory. You live for your ease. You're not a servant mother. You're not a servant father. You are uh, a driver of those who are beneath you. You're looking for your, profit, your own profit, your own ease, and your own pleasure. Likewise, we do poorly, very badly, when we command things that are unlawful. We forfeit, to a great, um, to a great extent, the authority. And in fact, you, you might uh, be justly uh, ignored when you command unlawful things, things that God has expressly said, this is not to be done, and you say, well, hath God really truly said, is this what, is this what the command really says? Do we establish doubt? That's the most satanic way to go. If you want to be satanic, that's, that's the way the, the serpent does it. Is this truly what it says? I mean, we have subject of uh, interpretation here, don't we? Don't we have an interpretation? You mean Sabbath? What? What does Sabbath mean, actually, you know? And you get into it, and pretty soon the piety of the church is compromised, commanding things that are not in the power of inferiors to perform. You can't tell your child, please, I need you to mow the front lawn when he doesn't, he's not strong enough to push the mower. You can't do that. He, he's not ready for that. It's going to vex him, and he's going to frustrate, he's going to fail. And so you have to have the wisdom in your leadership uh, to know what the creature is uh, able to do. Now, you may think, well, here's a contradiction. The Lord tells us to be holy, and we can't be holy. Well, the law was given to man as uh, a perfect creature in the garden. The law was first written in his heart. And so that command, the law, 
in man as uh, in the nature of man is perfectly compatible with a good man as man. Uh, but part of our punishment uh, of sin is that we have become other than good men. We can't complain that the commandment is bad simply because we are bad and can't keep it. God keeps his standard. And one day we are, as we are in the spirit, progressively sanctified. We are being perfected onto that commandment. One day in our glorification we'll, we will attain again. And in our regeneration we will have that nature that is free of corruption. And we'll see that this commandment was good after all. And we could be uh, thankful. But we are not to command uh, those uh, inferior in their, uh, in, by their natural gifts to, to do things that they can't. By counseling or encouraging or favoring them in that which is evil. That is to say, by excusing their sins. Oh, no, uh, well, I know you have uh, this kind of sexual attraction, but that's natural. Uh, a great deal depends on your DNA and environmental shaping and all kind of stuff. Well, that's not what the Scripture says. Uh, we are not to give counsel that would uh, contradict Scripture. You can't, for the sake of, uh, sake of self-esteem, uphold the, the, the guilty, uphold the wicked in their wickedness. You must address them, and you must arrest them. And so those who are counseling others have to be very careful, very careful as you listen, as you listen to people's complaints, just realize that sometimes there's another side of the coin. There's another side of that story. Don't be too quick, my friends, to affirm people that they're right and they're wrong or whatever. Don't be, don't be so quick. Just be very careful when you give counsel or even listen to counsel. Um, you... Uh, you also, this is, this is sad, when people are doing good in the church, when people are doing excellent things by way of reforming the church or reminding them of the good old paths to be dissuading or discouraging or discountenance them for it. That is to get in the way, as in Nehemiah's day, the workers rebuilding the walls, they have, the trawl, they have the trawl in one hand, they're, they're putting up the mortar and the bricks, and they're building up the walls of Jerusalem on the other hand, they have to have the sword. And the sword, hopefully, is for those that are outside, right? But those that are outside in Nehemiah's, Nehemiah's day, they, they wanted to bring the whole construction to a halt. In fact, they pretended to be in alliance with Nehemiah. But actually, they were there to interrupt the work. And then, of course, you had those that uh, were really traitors on the inside. And they would always uh, get in the way of, of the kingdom. Well, that happens when we have selfish people. Uh, and uh, they want something, and if they don't get it, they'll halt, they'll halt the progress of the whole project. The whole of the kingdom of God has to come. The church can't be growing because we're not happy. And we're just not going to be bringing anybody here until, and you fill in the gaps, until we get our new piano or we allow an accordion player. I don't know, whatever you want, some some. Something that is not here, that somebody wants, it's not here. They're not happy. <clears throat> They're not going to fund the church. Dissuading, discouraging, discountenancing people in, in doing good. Or you can be too rough. You can be correcting them unduly. Uh, you know, uh, Hannah suffered that, unfortunately. Uh, Eli was very rough and she was not drunk. She was praying. And he was very rough with her. He was a good man, but he must, he was, he really failed. He really failed, and then she explained her cause, and the Lord upheld her in that. But you can correct people unduly, harshly, uh, and uh, by not understanding clearly what was done, careless exposing or leaving them too wrong, temptation and danger. Person is sinning, so well, I'll just, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. Unless those sins are doing them in, my friend, drunkenness, uncleanness, slander, it's like wildfire in a church, and people keep talking. Oh, we'll just keep them, you know how it is, people, you can't stop people from talking. Careless, exposing, and leaving them to wrong, to temptation, and danger. You turn a blind eye 
And suddenly we've got a lot of trouble and that soul is in trouble and they're embittered and as before they loved, loved, loved the church or they loved the family, they loved the school. Now all they say is, is guile. You can provoke these people to wrath as a, as, a bad, as a bad leader, as a bad father. In fact, I'm sure anybody in authority for any length of time has done this. So we, we need to check ourselves against this checklist and confess that we need to be better. None of us has attained. None of us has attained in any of these markers. In any way dishonoring themselves or lessening their authority by an unjust, indiscreet, rigorous, or remiss behavior. Authority is to have honor. I know it's popular for authority today to kind of uh, dress down and and come informally. The president arrives in, you know, in a in a polo shirt, and he doesn't have his entourage. Or his, they really are. They're in the bushes with their high-powered rifles trained on your head. Should you try anything? But they, they look like, oh, he's just one of us. It's very popular to, to come down, and and every once in a while it works. But uh, after it works, he resumes his office of authority, the president of the United States. Uh, but if we dishonor ourselves. Uh, and we bring any indiscretion, uh, or, we, uh, or we cause people to despise the office because we are foolish or sensual or self-seeking, that is to be condemned and lamented. Let me conclude the teaching here. Jehovah has placed all men under some kind of authority or another. God commands you to recognize this orderly arrangement as his will for you. And this is his will, and you are his creature. Jehovah God requires you to preserve the honor and perform the duties belonging to everyone in their various places and relations as superiors, inferiors, and equals. And next to the Lord willing, next time I preach on this commandment, there's one more section on uh, how to honor each other as, as equals. Then also we'll look at the blessing of the promise of longevity to as many as keep this commandment. That's what we're going to look to the next time. But in this, in, understood in this way then, my friends, uh, rightly understood, the breach of, of the fifth commandment is really a breach of, of commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. You see how? The, the interrelatedness of all people in all these spheres is such that we're going we're gonna to not love uh, and we're going to break the other commandments. And we'll cover that in our duties uh, in sins of peers to peers. Now there are overlaps to all of these commandments. They, they're tongue and groove. They're not silos pertaining to strictly adultery and it has nothing to do with the Ten Commandments of the movements of uh, initial lusts in our heart. Uh, they, they interlock in so many ways. And so uh, it, 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 has, it takes the shape of one perfect and comprehensive moral law. It takes the shape, my friends, of a heart, an organic thing. That's what I want you to understand about the law. Although this law is in stone, when written in the hearts by the Spirit, it becomes a whole beating thing. It's not easy to take one commandment. It's impossible to take a portion of your heart and cut it off and expect the heart to perform normally, unless you've got some other, some, some other uh, science there going on, you will harm the heart and you will harm the patient. The moral law is one thing. And there was no, there's no extracting of one or even a part of the commandment without possibly doing violence to God's law. And that is a feature of most modern theologies. You pick and choose. It's a, it's more of a potpourri. It's a. It cannot be. There's a wholesomeness, and, and it, it's it's to our advantage. Now, my friends, we need to re review this commandment. It's teaching periodically, especially if we have been promoted to management, especially if we have given given a new role as a teacher. Let's start the, that role properly. Let's identify not just the objective objectives that the that the principal's office gives you in in your role as a teacher. But let's look at what God requires you as a person in authority. And let's establish that office with dignity. Let's not pretend we don't have authority. 
even though it's a, it's it's you know it's a playful thing to do and it's nice. And I'll just say here, ministers are, are they can be your friends, but we're not called to be your chums. We're not called here to befriend people, not primarily. We will be your friend, and Christ is your friend, but He's not primarily your friend. Primarily, He's your Savior, and He's also your minister. Uh, and so keep keep that in mind. And I think uh, we will be blessed when we align ourselves aright with the order that God has established in creation and the order that God has established in the church. If we chafe and we fall into disorder, we're going to lose our peace. We're going to be finding a, a, a lot of friction in the church. And this makes life difficult for everyone. Now, my friends... You know, Christ is the second person of the Trinity, but in Isaiah 53, he is called the everlasting father. And that's because he is like a father, tender and compassionate, and he leads us, and he is the best model for a father. God the Father to us seems almost to be an abstraction. But the way to understand fatherhood in God the Father is to see that even Jesus Christ is to us a father. And the best way to see God the Son as our Father is to see what He's done for us in His Supper. Because here He gives Himself fully to us. And He's done everything to provide for our body's sustenance through the resurrection of the dead with the promise of glorification of our bodies and our souls. He actually ministers to us in this in a spiritual way. Uh, and uh, his, his, his body is real food, his, his, his uh, blood is real drink. And, uh, and he promises to, be, to meet us here and to minister to us as friends and yet still as our Lord. You see, there's a beautiful balance there that must be preserved. And that, my friends, is a feature, too, of, of all of God's creation and all of heaven and all of heaven. This orderly arrangement, but a familiar arrangement, a brotherly arrangement, and a loving arrangement. Sacrificial love, and good instruction, and help, and encouragement. And this is our God, and this is the Lord's Supper. Will the elders please come forward? This evening we have the Lord's Supper to celebrate, and this is an, an ordinance, and a, a, sacri a, a sacrament that the Lord has established. It's a means of grace. And as all means of grace, we, we enter it by faith. It, it's not a mechanical taking that is of benefit to us, although we must take uh, materially. But uh, it is a spiritual recognition that the Lord has given us something good here and a blessing. There's a blessing in it. And uh, the blessing is no small thing. We are to look expectantly for the Lord to minister to us. Our, our confession even asks, has the authority of the church, the elders of the church, uh, to ask the participants, how did the, Lord, how did the Lord serve you here? How did he minister to you here? Of course, it's a subjective answer, but it's a spiritual question. And uh, if we're not sure, we can ask the Lord to make that plain. But there is strength here, and there is, there is encouragement as we wait on the Lord. And the beautiful thing here, it's not tied to the very moment that you receive this. Sometimes you wake up later in the day or in the night, and you realize that the Lord really has helped you in so many ways by encouraging you, by making some things clear to you, by, by, by forgiving you in new ways, feeling greater assurance. You are to know that the Lord can give you no more than he's given you already. 
He has given you all and every grace in him. And this is an emblem of complete love, a complete sacrifice, so perfect and never, never to be repeated. And in it has the promise of sure help. God is faithful. He is able and he is willing to help you in every way to live a Christian life, to give him glory and to arrive safely with him forever, to persevere in you. He's willing. He is able. And this sacrament is an amen to that truth. Now, let me read to you the words of, of uh, institution. Paul says, I received from the Lord Jesus what I also delivered to you, Corinthians, the, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a very important prophetic duty of every church member, every Christian. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you are preachers, <laughs> and you are heralding the Lord's death and the truth of his uh, bodily resurrection and his second coming until until he returns. And so uh, this is why I think it's important to come to church. <laughs> Priests should never skip their priestly duties. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, and that's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The Lord will keep his covenant with David. If his sons are rebellious and they sin, he will visit their transgression with stripes, but he will not remove his love from them. And this is exactly the tenor of Paul's speech here. We come to the table, we should examine ourselves, we should repent from all, we should make sure that we are clear before the Lord in conscience, nothing, no cherished sin, no cherished idol in our hearts, but also with the members of the church, the Lord be our judge. Are we forgiving? Are we reconciling? Do we want to be reconciled? Do we seek our brother's good? These are the things that speak for peace, and that is the peace and the fellowship that is illustrated at this table. If that's true, and you've been baptized and made profession of faith, even though you're not a member in this church, you are welcome to this table. If not, wait on the Lord, and He will make it good. What you receive here, as in the preached word, is Christ and His benefits. The preaching, when you believe, you receive Christ, His graces, and all of His benefits. Here you receive Christ, his benefits. The only difference is this is in sensible form. And the gospel, if it should be omitted in any preaching, once it's reached the table, the gospel is illustrated right here. His blood avails for your sins. His body was broken. That you, the covenant breaker, might not be broken and shattered in pieces. And the Lord Jesus is a savior to sinners. This is a table for sinners. Receive it with thanks and with, with, uh, with, favor, with his favor in Christ. Oops. Yeah. Lord, now these are ordinary elements. We pray that you would take this bread, this wine, as common as they are. And Lord, may by your word, by your blessing, may become for us true spiritual food and true spiritual drink at the hands of Christ our Savior. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
our Lord in the last night on earth, in the upper room, he was with his disciples, his friends, and he was at table. And he reached for bread, and he broke the bread. And he said, this, this bread is my body, and this body is broken for you. You do this in remembrance of me. Take, eat. 